what's going on. Welcome to the Raptors Reasonless Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me on the line, as always, quarantined out in the East End, Eric Kareen. What's up, man? Black A. Good morning. What's going on? Uh, not much, you know. I, uh, I mentioned that you're East End because recently at the Athletic Toronto, we all kind of collaborated to shout out some of the local businesses we're missing the most right now. And the commenters were, I, w- I don't want to say upset, but uh, several pointed out how East End heavy the list skewed. I am not East End, but one of the places that I mentioned uh, was East End. Danforth Music Hall. Why does everyone that works for the Athletic Toronto, except for me, live in the East End, Eric? Um, well, this doesn't apply to me, but there's certainly cheaper housing this way if you're going to buy. Uh, and and I would say rent rent would probably be tend to be cheaper east than west. Uh, I think those things are true. Uh, I, I, apparently the schools have a better reputation on the east side rather than the west side too. If that, again, not a consideration for me right now, but, uh, a consideration for some on the staff. Uh, these are all theories, uh, that I am not going to be able to prove within the context of our, uh, of our podcast. Damn. Well, you, uh, you are missing the dog park, eh? Yeah. I'd also, it's it's better to say Walter is missing the dog park. No, I think, I mean, he is. Like, every time we take him on a walk, he pulls us there, uh, like, when we sort of pass it, and uh, we have to explain to him, uh, and and it doesn't work because he's a dog and doesn't understand what we're saying, that the dog park is closed now. Um, I'd also like to shout out for a non-East End, shout out the Rebel House, uh, right across, basically, from Rosedale Station, uh, it's a pub bar uh, that I used to frequent when I lived up near that area, um, right on Young Street, and it's great, and I miss it. They have fantastic mac and cheese uh, dish that has uh, been haunting my dreams recently. Mike Cormack, who put that together, uh, asked us all for one thing, and I sent him two, and it was hard to leave off uh, four or five other ones. Obviously, there are a lot of places right now that we're all missing. Um, Continue to do the best you can to safely support the local establishments um, that you like, whether that's, you know, coffee beans from your coffee shop, since you can't go in and and grab a cup at a lot of places, or, um, you know, if you feel comfortable with Uber Eats, and I know people's mileage for that varies, but that's a way to uh, support local as well, and then pick up orders uh, so they probably don't get hit with that Uber Eats charge that I assume the places get hit with. Um, so continue to do what you can. Eric, one thing we are not missing this year is uh, Zach Lowe's Luke Walton All-Stars. And I bring that up because before we get into the meatiest topic of today, we need to take a second for Chris Boucher. Whenever Zach Lowe drops his Luke Walton All-Stars, one of the, the first thing I do is check to see if there's a Raptor on there. I don't want to spoil his content, but I'm going to. Chris Boucher is a Luke Walton All-Star this year. Uh, Eric, are you surprised to see? Uh, the the other one that I always look for is uh, Mike Prada's like Film Room All-Stars at SB Nation. Yeah. Uh, lots of Raptors on there pretty frequently because the Raptors have been like a fun team for the last couple of years for basketball nerdery. Uh, Chris Boucher on the Luke Walton All-Stars. Eric, what were your... Are, are you surprised by his inclusion what do you think there i mean uh, of the guys on the uh, uh, we've been over how many raptors have uh interesting paths to the league or or to the raptors themselves and uh boucher's story uh dealing with you know uh a, i don't know 
it's, it's weird to call homelessness and like refer to it as a bout or a spell, but he, he was homeless for a time and um, certainly took the long route to the NBA and uh, the long route to a full roster spot. And so from that perspective, it makes sense that he's grabbed a role on, on um, or a spot on, on Zach's team. And based on what he did on the court, like there are still lots of questions about how, you know, how, he, how his type of play, how his style of play works in an expanded role. But I mean, I don't think anybody can deny that when he was out there more often than not, he made things happen. He was key in a lot of, you know, most notably the comeback against Dallas. Um, you saw his skills at work and how they could genuinely affect winning and, He's just a fun player to have out there. So I think of the Raptors, he he was the name who I, I was sort of curious about whether he'd make it and well-deserved because uh, even though he's still fighting to prove exactly what he is in the league, like this has been a, a very nice step forward for Chris Boucher this year. For sure. And I think, you know, last year he got to show little flashes almost exclusively in garbage time. He was the G League MVP. He was the G League Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, that is a twofer that he told me before last season he was going to do. So good on him <laughs> for calling a shot. And I think that highlights that Chris Boucher is not short on confidence. Um, you know, his rookie year coming out of Oregon, he had played, he had been with the Warriors on a two-way deal, uh, but he was rehabbing a torn ACL. I think only played 18 games with Santa Cruz in the G League and then played one minute minute for the Warriors, um, which, you know, snuck a new record for Canadians in the NBA at the time uh, across the finish line. Uh, and last year, you know, he he obviously was very good in the G League. But like you said, there were questions about whether he could translate. The biggest things were he was playing primarily center with the 905. And Nick Nurse has always kind of talked about him more as a power forward. Not necessarily that you can't have a smaller guy like that play center, but Boucher's particular strengths were such that he was probably going to look more natural at the four in an NBA system. Um, so the questions from there would be, okay, well, can he do enough on defense when he's not blocking shots at the rim because he had a penchant for um, even in the G League not defending until the shot goes up and what I mean by that is like you know you could get good post position against him or he'd let you start to drive and get close to the rim because he had all this confidence uh, that he could block your shot and for good reason he has one of the highest block rates like ever for a college player earned the nickname swatter boy uh, even as a rookie last year in the 163 minutes he played uh, with the Raptors, or a de facto rookie, I guess, he had a 7.1% block rate, which is really good. Turning away 7% of opponent two-pointers while you're on the floor, even in garbage time, is pretty impressive. Uh, but there were questions about how that would translate and whether taking him away from the rim and playing him at power forward would decrease his defensive value. And his block rate was cut in half this year in terms of uh, per 36 minutes or, or per possession. But I think what you saw was, you know, he can defend on the perimeter a little bit and he can still be a rim deterrent even if he's not playing um, a natural center position. The questions now are more, you know, they're, they're kind of more standard for a regular prospect. And Boucher's 27, so he's not, you know, he doesn't fit a standard prospect development curve. But you're still running into things like, okay, well, can, you know, to use a tech term, can it scale? Can Boucher go from 15 minutes a game 
on a good team or 13 minutes a game on a good team to 20 or 25? Or can he go to 25 on a bad team? I think we have ample evidence that Chris Boucher would be a great fantasy asset if he ever found his way onto a bad team uh, because he does stuff the stat sheet pretty well. 17 points, 12 rebounds, three blocks per 36 uh, this year. And that's in a in a lower usage role than what he played in the G League or, or uh, in his first go around with the Raptors. Um, I guess the bigger question now, Eric, is if we lose this season, Chris Boucher is a restricted free agent. Uh, the Raptors have invested two years in him. They're obviously fond of him. Uh, they would have the right to match any contract, any offer sheet he signs. Um, the question, though, is you know when we looked at when we lined up this season and what this summer would look like beforehand. It was, well, maybe Chris Boucher is a bit of a succession plan with Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka both being free agents. If Chris Boucher is not a center in the Raptors' eyes, what do you think his near-term future is with the team? Yeah, it's, I mean, all free agent questions are strange right now because we just don't know the numbers, we don't know the cap room, um, and, and we don't know necessarily which teams are going to be active we can guess that teams like detroit and and the knicks will try to you know be make their moves given that you know unless the the cap totally craters they're going to have a ton of room uh and obviously both of those teams have need for you know younger or in boucher's case maybe in his age prime but still still growing and learning as a player uh they they'll have needs for those types of players um I'm sure the Raptors would like to keep him around. It's it's very hard for me, again, to put a number on what he's going to be worth out there. It's it's hard for me to see, based on his, his track record, that anybody's going to make him, like, a huge priority. But it only takes one to throw out, like, you know, a three-year, $15 million deal, which seems high to me, but is plausible for, you know... Uh, a borderline rotation player who a team thinks highly of. Uh, and then the Raptors have themselves a situation, especially with, you know, the cap going down and them having a, a bigger priority this summer in the case of, of Fred Van Vliet. So I, I would hedge toward them keeping them, finding a way to keep him. But I don't, you know, especially with Pascal Siakam around and OG Ananobi around, if it creeps up to a number there are not... I think the number they're uncomfortable with might be lower, I guess, than it might otherwise be, just because they seem locked in at those three, four positions for the, uh, you know, long term. And 2021 flexibility is still yes. uh, a thing that they're going to keep in mind, um, although who knows how any of this is going to play out. Um, speaking of bad teams with cap space, as well as uh, cap management in general, the Chicago, to follow up on a note from last week, if anyone hasn't been paying attention, uh, the Chicago Bulls did not hire Bobby Webster. So Raptors fans can exhale in that regard. Um, they are restructuring their front office right now around non-Bobby Webster options. Uh, the Bulls have hired uh, Arturis Karnasovas from the Denver Nuggets to lead their basketball operations department. Um, they fired Gar Foreman, their general manager, but I don't think Bobby Webster... Bobby Webster's name hasn't really come up in terms of a, a lateral move to be a GM under someone else, which I think makes sense. So Raptors fans can breathe a sigh of relief that they have not lost Bobby Webster. Uh, of note there, uh, Karnasovas apparently has a strong relationship with uh, recent Eric Corrine profiley and Raptors assistant coach. 
Adrian Griffin. Uh, also, apparently, Mark Eversley, former Raptors executive, has been interviewed as a potential GM under Karnasovis. Uh, so that's something to consider. Uh, yeah. Eversley has a great reputation. A lot of people seem to like him, and I, I think he'll find his way to one of those jobs eventually. I'm also interested what that says about the Sixers front office. Maybe nothing, but uh, he was a pretty important voice within, and obviously moving up to a GM role and a second-in-command role, a clear second-in-command role since the Sixers front office is a bit... Uh, murky? Head, uh, yeah, sure. Uh, I was going to say head-scratchy, but murky's probably better. Uh I, I don't know whether it says something or nothing. So that's the insight you get here at uh, <laughs> at Raptors Reasonable Plus. But it's a, I mean, as always, the Sixers remain a team to watch from afar and wonder what's going on. We're going to stay on the front office idea here and take on the roles of front offices ourselves. If anyone has been keeping up with the reading at The Athletic, you know that Eric and I drafted our all-time Raptors teams head-to-head Earlier this week, if you don't subscribe to The Athletic, you can go to theathletic.com slash we the six. That's the number six and get 40% off right now. You could also go to theathletic.com slash Toronto or either of our author profiles, click an article and get a 90 day free trial. If you wanted to check it out, um, the article in question is titled, We Drafted Our All-Time Raptors Teams. Now you decide who wins the series. The idea was this. Eric and I draft from the all-time Raptors head to head and readers and now listeners determine who whose team would win in a seven game series obviously we can't double up on players uh, we didn't get down to single season so i can't take 2015 2016 kyle lowry and then eric takes 2019 2020 kyle lowry it's uh one player you're focusing we're focusing on their peak not so you know demar Derozan's longevity doesn't really help him in this case we're only talking about his peak uh only time with the raptors counts so you know, Tracy, one person in the comment was like, Tracy McGrady is better than almost all these players, which, sure, Tracy McGrady's peak was very, very high. It just didn't happen with the Toronto Raptors, just like Hakeem Olajuwon's didn't happen with the Toronto Raptors. So uh, Raptors' peak is what's uh, what's in consideration here. Coaches, a head coach is eligible in the draft. Uh, no front office, though, because Eric and I are the front office in this case. Uh, we're playing under current day rules, and salary cap and luxury tax considerations we're not a factor. Eric, do you want to tell the people how we determined the number one pick in our all-time Raptors roster draft? Yeah, uh, my pal, former neighbor uh, and friend of the site in general, Dan Grant, who's now running a, a fun uh, Michael Schur show bracket uh, for best ancillary characters, uh, if you want to check out his uh, Twitter account at G, but he has been uh, nice enough to throw some trivia questions my way to keep me entertained during uh, the current climate or within the current climate. And one of them was uh, name the top 10 Raptors in total offensive rebounds uh, as a Raptor in their career. So we're looking at the career numbers and... I set originally after mistyping and saying the over under <laughs> for Blake would be to name 10 and a half Raptors in his first 10 guess, guesses, which I mean, Blake's good, but that might have been a bit unfair. I lowered it to seven and a half and it was a like, it's a pretty difficult bar to cross because 
it's a it's a bit of a weird list. Like after you get through the top four, you have to start doing some deciding between like short term big men and long term players who weren't grabbing a ton of boards, who were playing on the perimeter or the wing or whatever. So we set the over at seven and a half. Uh, Blake had seven with two picks to go. He needed one of two. Uh, and he guessed, I believe, Ed Davis and Kyle Lowry with those final two yeah. picks. And yeah. Kyle Lowry was indeed ninth, uh, getting him the first pick uh, dramatically. So the two picks that I got wrong, uh, I thought Bargnani would find his way in there because he's top 10 all time in games and minutes for the team and is seven feet tall. He is not. He's 11th. And I guess Ed Davis, who's 12th. Yeah. Uh, the so two pretty that I missed, good. Pretty good. Yeah. Like, the two that I missed were Morris Peterson, who that was a longevity oversight. Like my justification for guessing Lowry at the end was longevity. Um, and Morris Peterson clearly had that and, and snuck his way to seventh all time uh, on the leaderboard. And then I missed Tracy McGrady, who is 10th with 413 offensive rebounds. He was not a Raptor for very long. It's really uh, impressive. Just, yeah, it's a ter- <laughs> couple of terrific offensive rebounding situa- seasons from uh, from the wing. Uh in in your defense, I cannot remember Morris Peterson grabbing a single offensive rebound in, in, in his, my life as a Raptors fan uh, back then. Uh, his his career sort of represented the end of my role as, uh, ju- you know, it, ju- it just preceded, I should say, uh, me becoming a writer. So uh, I, I lived through the ups and downs of Morris Peterson, and he wasn't always, you know, in the mix, let's say. Yeah. All right. So I landed the number one pick, and because we're talking, we're going to zoom through some of these, and just obviously, you know, this could this podcast with 32 picks could be really long, but we're going to zoom through, through some of them. Uh, one of the ones that's easy to zoom through is the number one pick. I took Kawhi Leonard. We're talking absolute Raptors peak, and we're talking about playing these two teams head-to-head against each other in a seven-game playoff series. It killed me not to take Kyle Lowry, but Kawhi Leonard is a pretty obvious number one pick. Yeah, um... I mean, that's what we were fighting for, and the reality is, unless, you know, somebody had a really weird draft after that, I I sort of felt like that was going to carry the day for most people, Um, which is why I... I don't know, though, because we'll we'll talk about this in a couple picks, but there was one pick that got the most discussion and the most debate, so... uh, Uh, I'm not even sure which one that is, but... Actually, actually, I guess there there are two. Yeah, I'm sure of one of them. Uh, yeah. Oh, by the way, this was snake format. So when I pick first, Eric then gets n- picks number two and three. Yeah. So with my second and third picks, I picked Vince Carter and Kyle Lowry. And I wanted to make sure Kyle Lowry was the second of those two picks or third overall. So he would feel slighted and try to prove something to me. Um, and and Vince, I needed to protect his ego and, and, and have him a second. Uh, just, I mean... To me, those are the two guys that are pretty obvious that you'd want in a playoff series behind Kawhi, uh, the two, you know, biggest drivers of wins uh, behind Kawhi, I would say. And I would just say that peak Vince, while not Kawhi Leonard, obviously, was very good in the 2001 playoffs, and he was very good overall. You know, he's not a no-doubt First team All NBA or like the best version of Kawhi is, but he was really dynamic, explosive, and could hang some crooked numbers on you. 
So this put me, I, I think two and three were obvious. To me, uh, pick number four was obvious as well. I went Chris Bosh. In reading some of the comments, I think people may, I think maybe it's been retconned that like something bigger got unlocked with Bosh in Miami. And that's true. They had him start shooting threes more. They used him more as a kind of free-ranging center on defense, which was a better use of his skill set. And, and obviously those teams were incredible. Bosch as a Raptor was tremendous. So not only, you know, if you're looking at which Raptors are left on the board, Bosch has five of the top se- top eight seasons remaining by win shares, all at 9.6 win shares or higher. He has one of, he has three of the best seasons ever for a Raptor by player impact plus minus. And that's, you know, basically showing that he was dragging some some pretty mediocre teams to some pretty strong performances. Uh, and by the end, you know, Bosch wasn't, Bosch was a better defender at center than he was at power forward. Um, you know, I can't use Miami Heat Bosch here, but what I can do is play Chris Bosch at center, which the way my roster shakes out is Bosch is going to be my starting center. Well, uh, hold on, hold the- on. You can suggest to your coach that he plays Chris Bosch at center. Yes, it's true. But, uh, <laughs> I have no, I have no shitty veteran center for my coach to play at center over him. So I don't uh, know your backup center. Uh... <laughs> sometimes i think he had the opposite problem with your coach anyway we'll get to that yes but i i think my backup center alongside chris bosh would be even better than his pairing with abaka so i think i think we'd be just fine there the numbers um, on uh just on on bosh quickly i do think he was and i wrote this at the time when i was at the post i think he was pretty terribly underrated as a raptor even at the moment just because the teams he was you know, the first option for were, you know, middling. Uh, the one thing that's sort of hard to assess over time is his, with the Raptors, is his defense just because yeah. of who he played with. Like, this last year, he, like, the Raptors were the worst defensive team, but Jose Calderon, Hito Turkoglu, and rookie DeMar DeRozan and Andrea Bargnani were starting next to him. So, yeah. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> anyway, as, as, so I think that there has been a lot of comments on Bosch's defense, and I think it's a fair question, but it's it's a very much a question. It's not a, he was not bad, I don't think. I don't yeah. think we can say that definitively. Here here are the two things I'm going to say about Bosch's defense to just kind of close this out. One, he's, you don't suddenly become an all-defensive caliber player by changing location. So if that was in Bosch, even if, you know, Bosch never got criticisms for like a guy who wasn't giving it his all or, or not trying or anything like that. Um, so for him to suddenly flip a switch when he went to Miami and suddenly be this amazing defender, uh, I think he would have had to be at least average in Toronto. And then again, I'm playing him at center here. And as you'll see how my lineup fills out, he will not have to carry for all of those names. He might only have to carry for one of them. Um, the fifth pick overall was to me the hardest pick of the draft. So at this point, you have a guy who is unquestionably has a top five Raptors career, uh, was is unquestionably a top five Raptor performer by regular season, but introduces some fit issues and has a really spotty playoff track record. I picked DeMar DeRozan here. Um, I, th- I do think that a little bit of the conversation of his playoff performances uh, undercut just how good he was as an offensive player and as a number one. um, And like, I mean, he was really good. He didn't always drive winning the way you want your top guy to. That was always the Lowry side of the equation. Um, But DeMar was able to score a lot pretty efficiently. He became a pretty good passer by the end. 
my plan was to draft PJ Tucker so that DeMar would try on defense. It didn't work out that way. So from here, I'm going to have to make some fit and chemistry decisions to try to, you know, account for the fact that I have DeMar DeRozan uh, in my top three. And, you know, there's, there's, our, I kept in mind that, you know, I could possibly have to have DeMar, if not um, come off the bench, then be the first sub out and, and man a six, uh, man a second unit. Uh, there was, there were a couple comments, understandably, about how DeRozan is tough to play in a playoff series, especially against a team that ends up with as much wing firepower as you have. Um, as you'll see, I kept that in mind as I filled out my starting five and even as I made some bench selections, trying to work around DeMar DeRozan's individual defense and the lack of spacing that it, that is introduced if he doesn't have the ball in his hands. Um, yes, the fit is a little awkward next to Kawhi Leonard, but I thought that with the talent drop-off, here and maybe not maybe talent's not the right word with the Raptors career drop off here it would just be too disrespectful to DeMar DeRozan not to take him and therefore I went with the I went with that approach even though you know this like I said this was the toughest pick in the draft for me um I was dying to have a approve on DeMar DeRozan on my team um but uh I do like it's definitely a complicated pick and I do think there are very real questions that come with it I probably would have guessed you wouldn't have taken him at this spot. Although the two biggest options, I feel, I mean, who do you think you would have taken if you didn't think take DeRozan at that spot? I think Pascal. Yeah. Um, so him. Not, not, I think Pascal, I know what two picks you made next and I know what pick I made up. I would have taken Pascal Siakam. Yeah. So it's an interesting, it's an interesting choice. And I mean, I, I I get why you did what you did, and it, but it, it, you know, as we saw over time, like you do have to make some a lot of concessions for having him in a fairly high usage spot, not as big as high usage as as he was on on many Raptors teams, of course, and you know, given the depth of talent we're dealing with, uh, that you were able to do that, you were able to do that. Um, pretty well but it is it is a legitimate fit question and would, I, would you have taken demar sixth if i didn't take him there i never really thought about it to be honest um i think i was i was focused on the guy i took with six with six but I, had he been available i mean him and vince are just not a great wing fit you know like yeah. like that's especially if vince is this was another thing in the the kind of post analysis when people were comparing our defenses. Um, yeah, Vince could defend, but I don't know that that was a thing that he did regularly. Yeah, he was like I remember in his rookie season, he like he actually got a reputation for being very good defensively, and that slowly slipped away uh, over the course of his year. He was fine. Um, yeah, but when like a lot of guys who are asked to carry that much of the offense like his defense just wasn't a priority um and so i think you know if you put him in a bit of a lesser role then maybe you get a bit more but this is all you know highly speculative uh, my, my memories of him being not a weakness not a guy you attack like you might attack DeRozan, but certainly you're not loving having him guarding Kawhi leonard if if that were the matchup that was which I'm not assigning that matchup, and it will yeah. be up to my coach to do that. So that this seems like a natural time to move forward to my picks. Um, 
I took with my next pick, Mark Gasol. Uh, I know that's a bit controversial over Siakam. I just feel that the, I mean, first of all, we saw what he can do with just his intelligence and his defensive positioning uh, and his passing last year. And I think at as a true center, and maybe you you don't need a true center. Your your lineup spoiler is is going to go without a true center, uh, at least in terms of the Raptors era of these players. Your starting lineup, but I you know I Marcus Gasol has yet to really been effectively run out of a series. You know either with the Grizzlies or or the Raptors because of his size. He's been around long enough to figure it out, and he's certainly can make you go on both ends and and he does give you that spacing when he uh deigns to shoot. Uh, and he's a lovely dude. Yeah. Yeah, I mean he's going to make everybody better. Um and and since I'm and you know a comment went through my mind like when when uh Giannis Antetokounmpo after the season talked to our pal in uh in Milwaukee Eric name he said like sort of nightmares of Kawhi Leonard and um and Marcus Gasol trapping him were running through were running through his mind. And if you're gonna get Kawhi Leonard, that I want the other half of that. And I, you know, I'd like to see um I'd like to see Kawhi Leonard try and navigate, you know, uh, a pick and roll situation with Gasol and maybe some other wing defenders I might yeah. pick up. And I'd I like to see minded- those, I'd like to see those schemes cooked up by a good coach. I wouldn't have minded Gasol slipping because then I could have done the Kawhi Gasol double team on, or suggested to my coach to yeah. do the Kawhi Gasol traps on Vince Carter. And 2004, Vince Carter would have just walked off the court. <laughs> uh, he walked off the court at a lot less. Um, Unfortunately, I don't have the coach that I would like and that my roster, as it would turn out from here, would dictate is the is the best fit uh, because of your next pick seventh overall yeah and this is you know right up there with damar probably in terms of controversy um i went with nick nurse and it was very difficult to take a coach over a player as good as this year's pascal siakam um even last year's pascal siakam it, it's very complicated and Sort of like with Gasol, I looked at the talent disparity and and where I could find the biggest advantage. And, you know, I think it's a pretty it's pretty obvious that Nurse has the best X's and O's chops in Raptors history, and he has the best seven game series uh sort of adjustments and anticipation in Raptors history. Um it's I, I understand why people might disagree with it. There, there's plenty of validity. I just don't, like, I wasn't necessarily choosing between Nick Nurse and this year's Pascal Siakam, even though that's the player you're getting. I'm choosing between Nick Nurse and this year's Pascal Siakam, but in a lesser role. And maybe he's even more efficient because he is in that lesser role, or maybe some of what he's doing uh, he can't fully do, and it's a bit of a lesser player. I don't know. Like this is a, a, obviously a hypothetical scenario, but in a series with as much talent as that, I felt that 
this was a very obvious advantage and a meaningful advantage. You know, I, I think head coaching, even when with shortened rotations, it, it really matters in a playoff series. And I wanted to grab that while I could. And I felt like you would probably be grabbing him in your next two picks. So that's where I went. Yeah, um, you know, picking a coach over an all-star in a vacuum if you're playing a regular season or just building a franchise or whatever is not a smart thing to do. But when this exercise is just one playoff series, and like you said, it's not it's not as if you could take Nick Nurse and then I can take like Eric Spolstra or Greg Popovich or something like that. It's Nick Nurse and then I'm going to wait until pick number 32 to take the next best coach and there's a pretty significant drop-off there. Um, and as you'll see, you know, I kind of build... You know, philosophically, I, I don't think I'm all that different from how Nurse sees the the modern game or whatever. I, I, I do end up drafting some some players with some potential lineups that would fit a Nick Nurse system. And, and there are a couple picks that I'll make where I have to be like, well, I'm going to hope that the coach I pick does this with it. Or, you know, I, I can nudge him or fire him mid-series or something like that. Also, uh, I've, got, so. I've got to say, because people are voting on this on the site, I don't know, I didn't consciously think of this, but we also have to consider that the way to win this is not actually a seven-game series, but a vote. That's not the spirit of the competition, but that's how it's being decided. So yes, I, I do, I I do wonder how much that influenced my pick. I promise you it wasn't a thing I thought of in the moment. But it like it, uh, it definitely based could. on the comments. Yeah, it definitely swung some voters. There was one person who said they went from me in seven games to you in four because of the coach, which then means a coach is worth four games over a seven game series. Kawhi Leonard was worth like four wins over the entire playoffs yeah. last year. Yeah, so I, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't go that far, it. but I do think a coach is important and um, for sure. Yeah. Uh, so with Nick Nurse off the board, and yeah, I probably would have taken him here. I, I kind of figured Eric, I entered the exercise, and this is, we're going to get into a lot of this f from here on out of like trying to assume what the other person is going to do. I assumed Eric would take Nick Nurse at number 11, basically once the starting five were filled out. So my plan was to probably take him uh, in this 8-9 segment. Nurse is off the board, so I'm going to take Pascal Siakam, who I think is the best player remaining by an order of magnitude. And then to round out my starting five, uh, I'm going to go with Doug Christie, which I realize seems a little weird because it means I'm not starting a natural point guard. But I have DeMar DeRozan, Kawhi Leonard, uh, Pascal Siakam, and even Chris Bosh, all of who can have the ball in their hands a little bit. Uh, Doug Christie started sometimes at point guard uh, in the leaner, in the weirder Raptor years. Most importantly, though, Doug Christie had some seasons shooting 36, 37% on three, and is an all-defense caliber defender, as well as... You know, based on the type of guy who's, guys who've given Kyle Lowry trouble in the past, uh, a pretty good Kyle Lowry foil. This also gives me a starting lineup with three pretty elite defenders in Christie, Leonard, and Siakam, as well as at least an average defender and maybe a little better than that, depending on how the system rolls out and what you think of Bosch at the end of his Raptors tenure. Uh, so I think DeMar DeRozan is fairly well protected there. It's not an elite spacing unit with Christie and Siakam and even Leonard as a Raptor all being kind of mid to high 30s rather than uh, high 30s to low 40s. Bosch hadn't really shot the three a ton yet as a Raptor, um, but I think there's enough skill there and there's enough one-on-one -on -one playmaking. Uh, the big thing is I think I've capably covered for DeRozan on defense and have good options for Vince Carter and Kyle Lowry uh, and whoever else 
uh, Eric might throw in his starting five from here. And then, of course, you know, there's always the option to tweak things, move DeRozan to the bench, slide Christie to the two and, and add a point guard or, you know, upsize and, and add a, a center and slide to burn up a spot. Um, I have some options there. There's a lot of versatility and a lot of defense in that group. Uh, spacing, a little bit of a concern, but I think I can get some of that back with the transition game with the number of turnovers this group would, would figure to uh, produce. And, you know, Eric drafted Kyle Lowry and has some holes left because he also took Nick Nurse. So part of the bet here is that Eric's not going to reach for a backup point guard for a little bit. So by taking Christie here, I can kind of sit on a point guard for a little bit longer, I think. Uh, yeah, and I know a lot of people just want to hear us bash each other's picks. Uh, I'll just say in your defense of the Doug Christie pick that he uh, he did start a bunch of games, not only in the lean years, he, Carter, and McGrady all started next to each other in, uh, in the 99-2000 season for a lot of it, not an insignificant amount. So Yeah, um, with the same kind of idea, yeah, the ball's in yeah. Vince's hands a lot. Yeah, who was the point guard? Who really cares? Like, he defended point guards and defended, and they were, you know... Somewhat, I mean, schemes were different, but they were sort of interchangeable defensively. Um, Christie is one of the best defensive Raptors of all time. And like, you, as you saw when he went to the Kings, and we're not considering that player, but he was like an awesome three and D guy when he was asked to do a bit less of that of the ball handling, and uh, because that team was insane with creation, and he still did a bit of it, but he he was a really really good defender, one of the best ball hounds, and in Raptors history and really in, you know, the last probably 25, 30 years, he, he was. Yeah. It's funny when, when OG Ananobi this year was on that streak of coming up with big steel games, you go back and look and it's like, Oh yeah. Doug Christie had like all of these games with like six, seven, eight steals. Yeah. Uh, um, we got to speed up a yeah, little bit from yeah. here, I think. Um, so my next two picks, uh, Tracy McGrady, I'm not getting Orlando or Houston, Tracy McGrady, I am getting a player who over his last two years as a 19 and 20 year old, which is absurd, uh, was more or less averaging 6.5 win shares per 82 and clocking in around a PER of 20. Uh, Your mileage on all of those stats may vary, but what it says is he was a pretty damn productive uh, player uh, in, in the minutes he was playing. Here I feel he will get more minutes because of uh, my coach. Uh, he doesn't have an effective shot at this point, and he is probably the one non-shooter in my starting lineup. But I really thought, you know, he's a good defensive option, although not as built out as as you would, you know, not as strong as you would like uh, for a Kawhi Leonard matchup. But he's somebody uh, uh, that can guard a lot of different players for sure. And somebody who is built for a Kawhi Leonard matchup is P.J. Tucker. Uh, and the reason I took him is because he can make corner threes and defend the hell out of superstars. Also gives you the PJ Tucker at the five option, which uh, might be a nice counter for Bosch at the five, which is how absolutely a lot yeah, of my like best lineups lineup. Like on, I think PJ Tucker is actually the best guy to uh, on available to guard either of those players. Yeah, probably you know PJ Tucker as the 10th player off the board on overall player value is not the the right pick. But in terms of, if we're talking about role and how he fits around the other starters, I was really annoyed that you took PJ Tucker. Good. Uh, from there, Good. I I went Jonas Valanciunas and Anthony Parker. Valanciunas, uh, yep, having him with the coach that I have is maybe going to cause some hand-wringing. 
he is coming off the bench, but there's obviously the option to start him and play him alongside Chris Bosh. The big thing, I mean, there's really... Like, Jonas Valanciunas has five of the best individual seasons left on the board at this point. He's easily the best rebounder. I think it, it, people sleep on the fact that by the end of his Raptors tenure, he was like... He was solid defensively. I won't go as far as to say he was great or anything, but his rim deterrent and rim protection numbers in the dropback scheme had gotten pretty good. No, he doesn't have the range um, necessary if you go PJ Tucker at the five or whatever, um, but, you know, he's being asked to do a little bit less here. He was really good. He also is like 11th all-time in true shooting percentage, and so I'm pretty comfortable with him soaking up some extra usage in a second unit uh, here, which is something that I think both of us wanted to see a little more of toward the end of his Raptor run when he was uh, when he was seeing some games off the bench. My other pick is Anthony Parker, who I think is the best kind of 3 and D role specialist left on the board. In retrospect, you know, I probably, like, Danny Green's probably the smarter pick here um, than Anthony Parker, but Parker has some really, really good seasons uh, that are that hold up just a little bit better analytically, and I'm assuming Anthony Parker in a modern-day game would take more than 3.8 uh, three-point attempts per 36 minutes. He hit 42.4% of his threes as a Raptor and was a multi-position defender. Um, really useful role player off the bench and kind of Swiss Army guy to have here who can fit pretty much any lineup I'd roll out there. Uh, yeah, I have no problem with any of those picks. I too would have gone green over, I mean, not two. I, I probably would have gone green over Parker, but it's, it's close. And, uh, you know, we're splitting hairs here. Really, I think, uh, I, I think, I mean, with my new next two picks, you already mentioned backup point guard and how relatively deep that field is. Backup big is too. I think there's a case that we both of us should have been just drafting wings for a while, um, and, and neither of us did. Um, so here I, I was sort of focusing on on a backup big, and I had my eye on four players, uh, Serge Ibaka, Danielle Marshall, uh, Antonio Davis, and Amir Johnson. Um, and, and I think you took the one that I would have taken last of those four. And yeah, I took Antonio Davis... Because I think he had, I, I mean, it's sort of like your DeMar pick in in a smaller scale. Like, he had the best Raptors career in my mind. He was, like, the biggest part, he, he had the biggest role as a Raptor and had some, like, truly great moments. His fit in today's game is certainly in question. And as a lesser role player, I mean, he did it with the Pacers for years. So let's, you know, in a very different league. Uh, in a very different style, for sure. Um, but he he was a warrior. He battled. He uh, you know, is great on the boards. Could play above his size. Another good option to guard Bosch. Uh, doesn't have the foot speed, but certainly has the strength. Uh, and he wasn't like immobile. Uh, so I went with him. Uh, I'm not gonna ridicule my pick. Uh, but other, but after I made it, I did feel a need to sort of get another option at, at that spot, which we'll get into in a bit. And then afterward, uh, I took Danny Green for all the reasons you just mentioned. Yeah. Uh, so from there, I was looking at the same kind of group of bigs. Serge Ibaka is the next best big overall on the board, but I already have Chris Bosch, Jonas Valanciunas, and Pascal Siakam. Uh, so I'm looking for role specialization here with my fourth big. 
I went with Danielle Marshall, who not only had a 9.8 win share season in 2003-2004, which kind of, it blows away even, like, Amir, who was an analytic darling, and, and it beats significantly Serge Ibaka's best regular seasons. I still think Ibaka is, you know, a better all-around player. But Marshall, as this three-point shooting power forward slash center, uh, who could get a lot of threes up, uh, he took five per game as a Raptor and hit 41%. When I'm talking fourth big and a guy who can come in and play a, a specific role in a series, uh, I like that role specialization. After him, I went Jose Calderon. A number of backup point guards here you could go with. Um, no, I probably wouldn't want to have to start Calderon, especially if DeMar DeRozan's not the subsequent move to come off the bench. Um, and a Calderon, Jonas Valanciunas, defense in the second unit, is is obviously leaving some pick and roll opportunities there but i also think that that's probably the best pick and roll combination you could create from raptors that aren't kyle lowry um and in a second unit where they're going to be playing with some starters and have some shooting around them i'm okay with that jose calderon at this point is also i think my my eighth or ninth player um so some good value there as well and jose calderon uh, don't forget had one of the most lethally efficient offensive seasons in NBA history, as well as a 10-win season. Yeah, uh, he's not the guy I would have chosen at that position. Uh, I was more than happy to let you do the choosing and point guards. Well, uh, you knew I was going to take Jose at some point. Uh, I, I felt like you would, and I thought about just taking him to mess with you, uh, as I would do later in this draft. Um, but uh, I just didn't feel it was enough of a priority to... to uh, pick a backup point guard before Kyle Lowry is going to be playing, you know, thir- mid 30 minutes. And uh, that's cool with me. Um, but speaking of Kyle Lowry, I got him his uh, pick and pop, pick and roll partner in Serge Ibaka. That's a nice thing to have when a possession is going nowhere with six left on the clock. Uh, you get into that Ibaka Lowry pick and roll and, and make things happen. Uh, you know, obviously any Lowry plus the bench group can be bolstered by, by Serge Ibaka. Um, if Antonio Davis really doesn't work in the modern game, you can get, you can use Ibaka in his place. I think there's evidence that they could play together. I mean, the Raptors succeeded a lot, uh, against different teams than yours, uh, playing bigger lineups last year. Um, so that, that was my pick there. And I was, I was very happy to get him. And then I took, uh, mostly because this is a playoff series, Norm. Because he's going to win me a game. Yeah, I think, it's a, <laughs> I think that's... I don't like the Norm pick there. I think there's a little bit of recency bias and a little bit of like, he's had one good playoff game here and there. And it's been really good and important, but... I don't know, like, probabilistically, I don't know yeah, if I want no, to like, um, that. Yeah, no, like, we're coming up to the pick of yours that I was most annoyed at myself for not making. So I think in hindsight, I go with somebody else. But I do think, like, my team is, like, isn't as rich in individual offensive creation as yours, uh, at least in the, and especially in the starting lineup, I'd say. Like, you know, you have McGrady and, and Tucker, uh, and Gasol, who aren't really creating for themselves. So I, I felt like having somebody off the bench who, you know, if we're getting in a sloppy game, can can really take it himself and make something happen. I felt, you know, uh, Nick Nurse often refers to it as vault-up shooting when he compares it to the guy that you're about to take. 
And that's sort of the difference. And I think that's what was on my mind when I made the Powell pick. And listen, like if we're getting the best versions of this guy, uh, sure, maybe he gets injured in the series, but this year's version of Norman Powell is really, really good. So uh, I, I, you know, maybe there are better players available. I'm happy to have him. From there, I went I went Damon Stoudemire. Um, just even though I waited on a backup point guard, I still wanted an extra point guard. Like, I would still like to have two point guards ready to go in the rotation. Um, it was hard to pick Damon while they're replaying NBA Finals games. And Fred Van Vliet <laughs> is doing what Fred Van Vliet did. And I knew that taking Damon, I would concede Fred Van Vliet to you. Um, however, Damon's uh, first two seasons were really, really good. And I felt like just... You know, it's kind of a Demar Light pick where it's just the value or the t- the talent level. You can figure out the fit if you get a guy who's this good. Um, you know, I don't. I this this is probably the pick I leak I like like the least in retrospect. Like I probably would take Fred here in a redraft, but Damon was also really really good uh, in those two years as a Raptor. And then from there, I went OG Ananobi, who gives me a fourth all D de- if not all defense fringe all defense. Uh, guy along with Christie, Leonard, and Siakam. Um, a lot of defensive versatility. Another guy who can play a low usage role again around my um, high one-on-one guys and, and knock down some threes and another option to throw at your top guys uh, defensively. He could slide in for DeMar in the starting lineup and you have just this incredible defensive unit. Um, he could you know, capably play in, in pretty much any unit as a three or a four, even a two, as we saw a little bit this year. Um, I think OG at 21 is one of the, when you're focusing in on what role each guy is going to play in an actual playoff series, when you see the final rosters, I think OG at 21 is, um, you know, one of the best value picks in the draft, maybe outside of this next pick that you get to make. Um, yeah. And I will say like, much like you were annoyed when I picked Tucker, I was annoyed when you picked OG. And, uh, I think it's my fault. Like I, he should have been higher on my board and he wasn't somebody I was strongly considering. And I think I was drafting more for position than for skill set. And, and like, I think if I had taken Ibaka where I took Davis, like having, Norm and OG in my previous two picks would have been ideal roster construction versus how it ended up. Uh, but I still do have a lot of, you know, pretty solid individual defenders. Uh, and and so I'm not, I'm not too worried about losing out on them, but it would have been, given that you have Kawhi Leonard, a really nice option for me to have. Uh, I took Fred Van Vliet with my next pick. He was the, you know, all things being even, he was the guy I wanted the most of of those three backup point guards, Jose Calderon, Damon Stoudemire, and Fred Van Vliet. It's, you know, if Damon, I I obviously didn't care enough. Um, Don't tell this to Fred Van Vliet uh, when he plays for me. But like, whether I got Damon or Fred wasn't a huge issue to me. Um, So I, I, I wasn't picking him earlier. But it did work out the way I wanted, and I'm glad to have his finals MVP vote. Uh, I'm happy to get the post-Fred Van Vliet Jr. version of Fred Van Vliet Sr. He will shoot 78% from three-point, and uh, it's going to be a problem for you. Um, My next pick, which I know you were happy to make fun of, was Lou Williams. Uh, And I will say we're getting to the point where players picked at this in this spot are, are likely not playing or, or not yeah. playing big roles at least. You better hope um, so. 
Lou Williams was another nod to my roster being a bit short on offensive creation in this particular draft. Like in, in reality, they'd actually have plenty of it, but against your team, there's there's not that much in some of the individual defenders you can throw at my guys. I, I just want, you know, another microwave option off the bench. Uh, you know, him going against Kawhi or OG or or uh, Doug Christie, it's probably not going to be the most efficient option, but he is a guy who can, you know, get his way to the line. And his season in Toronto was pretty damn good right up until the playoffs. Yeah, this is a guy who has a 55.4% career true shooting percentage that drops to 49 in the playoffs and was at 56.4 as a Raptor before it dropped to 43.3. And that was against the Washington Wizards team that did not have... Doug Christie to throw on him. Uh, Don't think Lou Williams is seeing his way into a game. Uh, My depth pick here to kind of round out the guys who could play. uh, I went with Morris Peterson just as another kind of three-point shooting option who can play a couple spots. Not an elite defender, but a passable one. And then Amir Johnson as like, at this point, pretty significantly the best player, the best Raptor analytically in terms of uh, impact on winning. Uh, Has one of the best Raptor seasons ever by player impact plus minus has a handful of seasons where he was worth six or seven win shares. Um, also, you know, a little bit of role versatility, position versatility, good locker room guy. Uh, happy to get a mirror is my fifth big here. Um, I follow the, I mean, reasonable picks all, um, Norm Powell and Morris Peterson. I was sort of deciding between those two, uh, in a previous world, um, a few pick slots ago. I then went with Mike James, uh, first to get a third point guard on the roll on the on the roster, but also for the one on one games with Lou Williams uh, in practice. I mean, that would be good. Yeah. That would be good fun. You have to admit. I thought those two were a little redundant on the same roster, though. To oh, be honest, get out of here. Um, you can never have enough chucking, my man. Um, I mean, again, the plan isn't for either of these guys to play, which might make for a contentious issue off the court. Uh, but I think we have to take some leaps here if, uh, you know, we're picking the best players in a franchise's history. Even a, a history as short as the Raptors, like, you have to think that players might understand that why they're playing behind some of the players they're playing behind. But if you want to create a scenario in which Mike James and Lou Williams try to lead a revolt against Nick Nurse and then Nick Nurse and me have to ban them from the team. You can do that if you want. That, that's fine. Sure. Um, I also took Matt Thomas. Uh, I took him for one possession scenarios to get off shots. And there are lots of pure shooters. And I, I mean, not lots, but there are a fair number. Was, of- was Jody Meeks off the board? Yeah. <laughs> Look, I mean, anytime you can get Mr. 99%, I'm happy to do so. I, I stand by this pick. He does not deserve, he's not one of the 30 best Raptors of all time. But in this context, he makes sense. Uh, I then went with Alvin. These are kind of the inactive spots. I went with Alvin Williams just so I have a third natural point guard and another locker room guy. Also, he's had some some playoff success. And then just to be cheeky with my last player pick i went with Peja stojakovic to counter matt thomas uh just to see i, I just want to be able to watch pregame warm-ups where matt thomas and Peja stojakovic are shooting on the same court um, neither of these guys are going to be active uh, if things don't go disastrously 
wrong. And then, Eric, with your last two picks, you're going to get even cheekier than Matt Thomas and yeah. Paige Stoyakovich. Yeah, no, I took Alonzo Mourning. No, I'm joking. But uh, Paige Stoyakovich was, he did play two games as a Raptor. It, you know, it tech, you, <laughs> you made the cut, you did it technically. It, it sort of broke the spiritual competition of this. But as you're not planning to play him, I don't really mind. Instead of Alonzo Mourning, who did not play for the Raptors, but was a member of the Raptors for a while. Uh, I took Bismack Biombo, who obviously had a great playoffs with the Raptors. I wouldn't feel bad uh, or nervous if he had to play based on his season with the Raptors. Uh, great, you know, guy on the bench, great guy in the locker room, is going to go fit for fit with Serge Ibaka. Uh, I'm pumped to have him. And just to mess with you, Blake... Is Bruno active? <laughs> I went with yeah. Bruno Caboclo uh, just because... Uh, that was, one hurt. Yeah, it, it was good. Uh, you had your chance. You had the last player picks. Uh, you could have... I mean, I had the last player picks, but you could have avoided this. Instead, you decided to get uh, cheeky with your page of picks, so I just got nasty and tried to hurt you personally. Yeah, well, I don't appreciate it, Eric. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, by the way, Peja Stojakovic has only played 300 fewer minutes as a Raptor than Matt Thomas and only 80 fewer than Bruno Caboclo. So, <laughs> that's, uh, uh, my final pick here, I went with Dwayne Casey as head coach. I don't think it requires a lot of discussion. He has the second best kind of reputation and success behind Nick Nurse. I was not watching enough basketball in the era of Brandon Malone, Daryl Walker, and Butch Carter to really evaluate what those guys are like and they don't have particularly strong track records when you go back and look uh lenny wilkins was pretty checked out at that point sam mitchell did give me some consideration just because he ran kind of a pre-modern offense as far back as 2004 in terms of um you know role player usage and three-point volume uh but i'm going to put my faith in Dwayne casey which uh you know it's a it's an iffy thing and then i took two two-way players jordan lloyd and chris boucher and you're not allowed to have two-way players because yeah. Um, so just really quickly, my starting five is Doug Christie, DeMar DeRozan, Kawhi Leonard, Pascal Siakam, Chris Bosh. Uh, the second unit would be Jose Calderon, Anthony Parker, OG Ananobi, Daniel Marshall, and Jonas Valanciunas. And depth pieces, Damon Stoudemire, Amir Johnson, Morris Peterson, Album Williams, and jokingly, Peja Stojakovic. Eric is starting Kyle Lowry, Vince Carter, Tracy McGrady, PJ Tucker, and Marcus Gasol. Second unit of Fred Van Vliet, Danny Green, Norman Powell, Serge Ibaka, and Antonio Davis. Depth pieces of Mike James, Bismack Biombo, Lou Williams, Matt Thomas, and uh, jokingly, Bruno Caboclo. I'm coached by Dwayne Casey. Eric's coached by Nick Nurse. Um, I think we were both pretty happy with how things turned out. I think I have a more talented roster and maybe a more cohesive one. Obviously, I had a huge advantage getting Kawhi Leonard first. Eric tried to take that advantage back by taking Nick Nurse, um, which did swing some voters and does take away a little bit of the potency of some of the lineups and strategies that I had in mind because I'm relying on a more rigid coach to uh, apply those. But I think there's a talent edge and a defensive edge that outweighs Eric's coaching edge and um, outside shooting edge. So far readers agree we have uh this article has been up for over 24 hours now 850 votes uh 52 of respondents thought i would win in six or seven games 33 and a half thought eric would win in six or seven games um i got 64 percent of the total vote to 36 for eric so far eric do you feel like that's fair i mean it's about what i expected it's certainly in order of probability that i would pick 
Um, I, I think this is probably a long series. I think, you know, it really, not, not that you didn't have a good draft otherwise, but it really largely comes down to having the best player in the series, which you do. Um, and it was going to be hard for me to counter that. Like I, I by with that block where I picked McGrady and Tucker, I, I really, I tried my best to do so. Um, and you know, so we'll see you, you would see how that would play out. Even, even Vince, like he's not going to stop Kawhi, but he wouldn't be like horribly out of place guarding him. But it's a lot to try and overcome one of the best, you know, postseason performances we've ever seen. So uh, yeah. uh, it makes sense. I, I am, you know, I do have a few regrets, as we sort of talked about during the draft. I do wish I had OG Ananobi on this roster, uh, probably instead of Antonio Davis, and I would have made up the size elsewhere. Uh, but I honestly, I don't think it would have flipped the voting uh, and... And yeah, like I, I, I think it was a pretty responsible and logical job by both of us. Uh, there are nits to be picked, which we, which I think we mostly did over the course of uh, that, you know, fifty minutes or so we discussed the draft. Uh, but I think we got most of the pl- most of the players who should be playing in a playoff series uh, in the Raptors history will be here. I believe, and uh, it would it would be a it would be a super compelling series to be honest. There were a couple names that came up in the comments pretty frequently. The only one I want to mention, first of all, I think I think Marcus Camby is probably the biggest miss if we're playing under modern rules. Um, obviously, he didn't have a very long time with the Raptors, but he I think led the league in shot blocking, which uh, would be a, a helpful thing to have. A lot of people were like, where is Charles Oakley? Charles Oakley averaged eight points, eight rebounds, three assists as a Raptor and had a dog shit shooting performance across the board. Um, I love Charles Oakley as a character, and I'm sure that that toughness and that attitude would be helpful. I do not think uh, eight and eight inefficiently has a real gripe to not be on one of these rosters. Uh, I'm still upset at him. Uh, Please don't tell Charles Oakley that I'm upset at him. But he missed a layup in Game Seven against Philadelphia that uh, that haunts me. Uh, I wonder if he still thinks about it. Yeah, probably not. No, he's probably doing all right. Um, yeah, and yeah, and sorry, be... and sorry for cussing, but but Oakley was a big who shot forty percent over three years. Yeah, no, he. I mean, he's fine. He wouldn't like be horribly out of place in the back end of one of these rosters, but I don't think. You know, his, the Raptors version of him, I don't think, is playing in, in this series. All right. We got to, uh, we've got to go. We're running a little long here. Eric, thanks for doing that with me. It yeah, was, no, it was, uh, it was, it was fun. fun. Hope, hopefully, everybody enjoyed it and uh, can take it with some good humor. And uh, that includes both of us who have been defending our picks, maybe sometimes too seriously but like we put our hearts and souls into this so uh yeah i mean i have four all defense guys how are you gonna tell me i don't have a good defense yeah uh, i mean i think tim <laughs> you know what do you what do you start to and i'll keep a chart like when you start to put like a bench unit together then it gets questionable but this is a playoff series like they're the the bench units aren't gonna be like a bench mob it, it, at most it's gonna be three bench guys and like you know Demar and Chris Bosh or something like that. So, uh, or Demar and Pascal Siakam. So it's not, and if they're playing with Anthony Parker, OG, and Danielle, like that's not a great defensive group. But they're they're also not a disaster by any by any means. So, 
Uh, and all that shooting. Yeah. Uh, so it's... I mean, these are good teams. They're, the Raptors yeah. have had some good players, and uh, you have the best one, which was something I had to scramble to try and figure out. Yeah, I had the slightly better team based on the voting. Um, all right, guys, that was a lot of fun. Thanks for uh, running through that with us. Again, the article's up on The Athletic. If you don't already subscribe, there are 90 days free trial, 90 day free trials right now, and you can go to theathletic.com slash we the six for 40% off. Eric, thanks so much, man. Thank you. See you. See you.